This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. you want to skip the big box stores and shop somewhere that's 100% carbon neutral, ethically sourced, and fairly priced, Thrive Market has your back. That's right. Thrive Market's goal is to make healthy and sustainable products accessible and affordable for all. While they have plenty of different grocery items to choose from, you'll also find beauty products, home goods, and more. Something we really love about Thrive Market is how easy it is to shop. Everything is personalized to you, and you can filter through the thousands of products by more than 70 dietary and lifestyle values. For instance, I can easily fill my cart with items that are vegan, from certified B Corps, biodegradable, BIPOC owned, and ethically sourced, all by checking off a few boxes. Thrive Market also has a one-for-one membership matching program, which I love. That means when when you pay for a membership, a free one will go to a low-income family, student, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Are you ready to shop? Go to thrivemarket.com slash goodtogether to get 25% off your first order and a free gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash goodtogether. Vegan leather has evolved a lot over the years, and one person who's been there since the start is Ender Betty. The founder of Matt and Nat has gone on to launch 457 Anew, a slow fashion line that creates handbags, clothing, and more out of landfill destined materials. In today's episode, we discuss his career shift, what goes into traditional vegan leather and the controversies around it, plus what innovative new materials make up new sustainable options in the fashion space. Okay, welcome to Good Together, listeners. I am super excited to welcome Inder Betty, the founder of Matt and Nat. This is one of the first mainstream vegan handbag lines, which launched in 1995. After two decades with Matt and Nat, he decided it was time for a new adventure, and he launched 457 Anew, a slow fashion line focused on the next level sustainability. They craft handbags, accessories, and more out of plants, ocean waste, and landfill-based fabrics. So today we're going to chat about what actually makes up your handbags in terms of materials, and I'm really excited to have Inder on Good Together, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Thank you uh, for having me here today. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. 
Absolutely. So uh, to get us started, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about how you originally got into the vegan fashion space and sort of how your vision has evolved over time. I've been um, vegetarian since I was um, 18 years old, which has been several decades now. I won't say how many, but <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a while. And um, when I got into university, I was uh, doing a bachelor's degree in commerce with the aim of going to law school. My last semester for a course um, that I didn't want to take, entrepreneurship, but I had to take it to complete the credits, we actually had to go to banks and try to get funding for a make-believe business. So being a frustrated vegetarian, this is going back to the mid-90s, that couldn't find apparel, shoes that were vegan, I thought, why not base it on sure. a vegan fashion brand? And that's pretty much the idea, uh, where the idea for Matt and Nat uh, came from. After I graduated, well, I, I got like a 77 on that paper. The teacher professor thought it was <laughs> interesting, um, but uh, didn't really understand what a vegan was at that time and sure. why people would want to buy vegan fashion. <laughs> so... Uh, you were definitely ahead banks. of your time back then, I feel like. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> definitely um, ahead of the times. I love it. I, I just thought it would have been an interesting business venture in the sense that nobody had really been doing this. Well, actually, that's not fair. Uh, the gentleman that inspired me to kind of get into the space or even uh, it was a gentleman, oh, his name Robin. It was this brand out of the UK called Vegetarian Shoes. Um, so he okay. was doing like Doc Martens. Uh, and different types of interesting footwear, but with vegan uppers. And um, after I graduated, I said, I'm going to put my plans to go to law school on hold. Uh, I went on a trip to India. And on the way there, I actually stopped in the UK to meet him. And just uh, he was so helpful um, in terms of just telling me like about the industry and how he got started. And I told him that I was thinking of doing bags. And he was like, yeah, that could be cool. So Long story short, um, ran Matt and Nat for two decades, founded it in 1995, brought on a business partner seven years later, who still runs uh, Matt and Nat today, and I ran that for two decades. It was a super interesting ride. I mean, we saw all kinds of different growth happening, particularly mm -hmm. um, in the early 2000s when people started becoming, I think, more aware of veganism, not just for diet, but also for fashion. Um, and then at the end of the ride, the same voice that told me to start this in 95 told me that it was time to kind of move on um, and just yep. go on to something else. So, uh, yeah, that took that was my journey at Matt and Nat. Um, and towards uh, that, I basically took time off for just reflection, personal growth. I uh, wasn't even sure if I would come back into the industry or not. I had a young family at the time. Well, they're still young and just wanted to <laughs> get back to spending time with them. I, I found myself being on a plane every 10 days to two weeks. We were doing trade shows all over mm -hmm. North America and Europe. And something inside me just told me that it was time to kind of step back from from everything that was going on. 
That's that's amazing. I mean, I think everybody uh, when they when they go through the founding of of companies, we do all have you know as a founder myself, I've had the same same thing happen where we definitely have the, the voice that speaks to you, right? So it, it sounds like it was kind of time for you to evolve and move on. And so your new brand, I feel like, is very focused on similar goals around sustainability that Matt and Nat was was created around. Um, but really, what what inspired you, I guess, to to start a new brand and, and go into that? that realm. I just felt that if I got back into the industry, I really wanted to do something that at least to me felt next level. Um, not a lot of people know this, but when I first started Matt Nat, we actually used to do all our production locally in Canada and Montreal. And okay. um, the materials were all being imported from Italy and Spain, and it was a higher price point. So first of all, I felt that I really wanted to get back to local production, just being able to touch and feel product again and being close to the whole process. So that was something that I just felt that over the last X number of years, there's been a resurgence in getting back into local production and um, just old school craftsmanship. So that was one of the things. And then I also felt that if I got back into this, I went back to the whole recycling symbol, which, you know, the three arrows actually symbolize reduce, reuse, recycle. And just doing a bit of research and getting back into that whole movement from the late 60s, 70s, and thinking that if I get into this, I really want to focus on reducing and reusing um, and maybe less so on recycling. So how can we find materials that can be, well, first of all, how can we create a product that kind of lends itself to reducing the amount of goods that mm -hmm. are being produced um, on a regular basis? So really tying back into slow fashion and less so into fast fashion. And it, producing locally, producing a quality product and using quality resources to me really meant that these goods would not see a landfill. They would be out there for a very long time. So that was the first requirement. And then reusing, I mean, 457 and was pretty much born in <laughs> scrapyards. I, I literally uh, went into scrapyards and started cutting out seatbelts out of <laughs> wow. cars. Uh, we got them from planes as well. And just seeing how that could be applied to fashion, but how can we do mm -hmm. it in a way? I mean, people have been making bags out of seatbelts for decades and, you know, my hat goes off to them. Like there's some really interesting products out there. I just want to do it in a way that felt maybe a little bit more elevated. Like how can we, yes. you, know what I mean? like, you know, fashion with like a capital F. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I still wanted the fashion component to be there. Yes. And I, I think it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong for, um, the, you know, fashion is such a wide space that people have been doing amazing things with in terms of reusing scrap materials for, like I said, decades. But I really want to do it in a way that kind of tie back into it being very much at home in a boutique or yeah. on a sleek website. So I love that. I mean, I think one of the things that is fascinating to me about your journey here with this new brand is the focus on reuse. Because to your point that you made earlier, people often think that recycling is just this silver bullet in terms of a solution. Like we throw things into our recycling bin um, that's that most likely aren't even going to be recycled. Um, and, you know, the various governments at play across the world have various limitations on what they can actually recycle. And so the more that we can think about reusing what's already out there and turning it into new products, I think is fascinating and something that is not necessarily um, as, as popular right now, I guess, as the creation of new materials. 
Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. I love it. Well, yeah. And recycling is so energy intensive and going back to your point, Laura, something like, I mean, generally speaking over 85% of goods that we do feel are being recycled are actually not just because the facilities don't exist. Um, and you know, this whole recycling symbol, uh, was developed, his name is Gary Anderson. It was this contest back in 1970, uh, that was put out across various colleges in the States. And, you know, his order was really reduce, reuse, recycle in terms of the environment, reduction being the primary focus, reusing being secondary. And then recycling was kind of like, like last resort. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, there are some great recycled uh, materials out there, components, and we're even using some of them because technology is not advanced enough you know, so that everything is created out of landfill yet, but that is the goal. And part of our slogan, you know, our slogan is one day, everything new will come from something old is that I want to get to a point where everything we're using is um, coming from landfill or ocean waste. Um, that that's really the goal of four, five, seven and you is to focus on materials and products that already exist out there versus creating new ones. So how can we not just minimize our effect on the environment or be completely neutral, but actually create pieces where we're cleaning up oceans and landfills. So when I thought about getting back to the industry from that aspect, that's what got me excited. Like, and to me, that is, I hope where more and more brands are going to go over the next X number of years. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just this focus on you know, finding things that already exist, fashioning new things out of them. Um, I I think that's fascinating. And, you know, thinking about even before this new brand and your thought on your thoughts on Matt and that, I know that, you know, vegan leather, you know, as one example of a material, um, you know, that you've used in the past. And I believe you, I believe you use it in your current brand as well. Is that correct? Do you still use vegan leather in in your new brand? Correct. Correct. Um, Yeah. That's what I thought. I really started out with, um, well, Seatbelts was the first step. And then we were able to get our hands on a bunch of aircraft leather that was thrown out mm. um, by uh, Air Canada redoes their seats every now and then. Okay. Uh, every X number of years when they refurbish their aircraft. So we got a bunch of that and then made a line of backpacks and duffel bags. We It's a limited you know, number of units because once those seats sure. are gone, they're gone. And being a vegetarian myself, I wasn't sure if that's something I want to do. But again, looking at it from a sustainable point of view, like this is stuff that literally if we don't use it, it just ends up in the garbage or landfill somewhere. Um, so that was an interesting kind of collection that we did. And then went back and forth with um, Econil was a fabric that we discovered that's based out of Italy, that the CEO, his mandate, again, is to really empty oceans of fishnets, uh, different types of waste. They also use carpet fiber waste in the production of their yarn. They advertise that there's no new resources that go into regenerating this infinitely. So we went back and forth with them. They have a whole approval process. That's um, a yarn that we use in our production as well. And then as we saw, people were still demanding a leather look, especially for the bags Mm -hmm. that we do, because we also do outerwear. We discovered Deserto, which is a plant-based leather uh, grown from cactus leaves in Mexico. So that to me was very interesting in terms of how that world was has evolved from using you know vegan leathers 
back in the day at Matt and Nat, and now seeing that there's this rush to make them out of everything from cactus to mushrooms to grapes, which is yes, super interesting. It's not perfect yet. Um, mm-hmm. It is devoid of PVC and toxic chemicals and phthalates, which is good, but there are still certain binding agents that they need to use, even though it is plant-based. But it is very interesting how there's so much funding for that direction um, and how a lot of mainstream brands are kind of jumping on it from well, mainstream, whether it's Lululemon or Stella McCartney. So I, I think as more and more, again, brands just push industry to develop these products, I'm hoping that one day we'll be able to get leathers that are close to 100% plant-based. That, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you a little bit about what goes into, you know, traditional vegan leather. And I know that there, you know, are some controversies around it because of the PVC, um, you know, the plastics and the kind of the the binding materials and things like that. I mean, like we talk about on this podcast all the time, there's always trade-off conversations that are necessary. I mean, um, you know, the, the leather industry, like the true leather industry is, you know, very uh, detrimental to the environment. Um, You know, there's people have an idea of where they think their leather comes from. It's usually not the case. Um, It's usually made under conditions that are not, um, you know, eco-friendly or humane. And so most of the time when people hear this, they think, okay, I'm going to go out and get something that's not made of leather, but, you know, other concerns come up such as, what's actually in the material, um, durability. I um, would love to talk to you a little bit about that, looks, et cetera. So I'm glad that you kind of talked about some other materials that exist. And of course, we also understand that these are not going to be perfect, right? Like there's a very, there's very few perfect sustainability uh, related uh, solutions, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's very, <laughs> absolutely. And my friends that are hardcore have not bought a fashion item in many years <laughs> and mm-hmm, that, that's right <laughs> that's their version of perfect and I, I totally respect that I mean they would rather go to thrift stores or um, uh, you know even take items that have been sitting in their closet or their mother's closet or their older siblings closet and kind of like give them a new life which I think is amazing um, yes <laughs> <laughs> In terms of mainstream customers, I think there's always going to be that desire for new, for fresh. I also feel that we could do it in a way that ties more into slow fashion and less into fast fashion by making sure that items always have a second life, by ensuring that they don't end up in landfill, and of course by using resources that are sustainably made, which again is not perfect just given the nature of industry, but as there's more demand from consumers and as more mainstream brands jump on this, I think it just puts that much more pressure on industry to come out with um, materials that are more sustainable and just take into account the, the, the type of impact they're having on the environment. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask you, because it sounds like something it's, it's something you've already run into in the case of making the bags or making accessories from the former airline seat, uh, 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 airline seat leather. Yes. <laughs> um, my question is more around capsule collections and limited time edition uh, products that might, you know, only be around for as long as the material is around. So what are your thoughts on um, consumer appetite for this? Do you feel like people are excited by limited time only products? Do you feel like 
are they disappointed if they see somebody wearing that and then they, you know, come to your website and they're, they're unable to purchase it? Like, what do you think about the consumer psychology uh, around this type of purchasing pattern? This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house, so this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too, and I love that Real Paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. Hey, Lisa, did you know that every year 10 billion disposable razors are thrown into trash around the world? I never thought about the amount of waste I was generating every time I shaved my legs. Yes, I remember we've discovered this staggering fact last year, and ever since then, me and you have been on the hunt for a sustainable plastic-free razor. The tricky part for me, though, and I know a lot of our community members feel the same way, is that safety razors can be very intimidating to use. I was literally scared when I first shaved with a safety razor. Same, but we finally found the perfect option, haven't we? Leaf Shave has created the world's first multi-blade pivoting head safety razor that makes your shaving experience almost identical to the one with a plastic razor. Leaf Shave is certified carbon neutral and they package and ship 100% plastic free as well. My favorite part about their Leaf Razor is that it accepts up to three blades so that you can decide how close of a shave you want. Once you're done with the blades, you can send them back to Leaf to recycle responsibly as scrap metal. This makes shaving plastic-free easier, safer, and faster than I've ever experienced. But if, unlike us, you're a total pro and not intimidated by safety razors, Leaf also has a more budget-friendly option, their Twig Razor. Check it out. Good Together listeners get 5% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at leafshave.com slash brightly. That's L-E-A-F-S-H-A-V-E dot com slash brightly. I think consumers get super excited about it. I know even the aircraft collection that we've done, it's been one of the most popular collections we have. They do get excited. And there's also stories behind this. And that's the other thing when you're reusing materials, there's actual stories like these yes. seatbelts have seen, you know, thousands, if not tens or hundreds and thousands of miles. These seats have been sat on by God knows how many people and have probably had coffee dropped on them and who knows what else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, um, it's interesting though, because they look, I mean, they, they've just worn really well. They're, they're still in great condition, obviously, or otherwise we wouldn't go through the effort of, you know, putting them together and um, uh, shipping them off to our customers and guaranteeing them as well, which is really important to me that everything has to be guaranteed. And I think with streetwear, we saw a lot of this, you know, where things get dropped and they're in limited edition and they're gone within 
hours, sometimes minutes. And once they're gone, they're gone. And it's on to the next. Like we, I guess it's in terms of consumerism, we, we've gotten into this. Um, not everybody that buys fashion, but a lot of people have gotten into this whole journey of being excited that something is going to be available for a limited amount of time and limited quantity. And once it's done, it's done. I just feel that there should be a way to do that um, and keep it to not have it to be so, so mass. Like when, when things are like done like that, I don't think it should be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of units. It should be yeah. know, at the most hundreds. I, there, there has to be a real value to saying that it's limited and it has to be more Absolutely. from a authentic point of view and not from a marketing point of view. And again, you know, there's a lot of brilliant things that go on when it comes to marketing and businesses are around to make money. That's obvious, but I think there's a balance that we can find in giving consumers real value um, in terms of the product that's being provided and not just doing it for the sake of hype. I mean, if that makes sense. Yes, it makes total sense. And I think it goes along with general shifts in consumer uh, consumption patterns that we both are already seeing and ones that are needing to come into existence in order for us to be more eco-friendly shoppers, right? The um, insistence on returns, right? Like I I used to work at Amazon in the fashion um, area before I founded Brightly and was very exposed to the amount of returns that happened constantly. Um, and I think that's one cycle that I think it's, it's almost like recycling, <laughs> you know, people yeah. kind of throw it back in the box and, and get their store credit. But, you know, I think people don't often realize that it is pretty difficult for, uh, for retailers to be able to resell return items. Uh, and, you know, that generates waste. Uh, when we talk about durability, like we talked about earlier, we need to be focused on buying products that are going to last. And I think this, um, you know, new world of limited edition products that might be from materials that are only available in small quantities because they've been reused. It just goes along with that pattern. So that's that's just really interesting to hear. <laughs> um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the process of making your products. So you get these really interesting, innovative materials that are made out of you know things like cactus leaves or fishing nets. So. How do you actually take that um, product, so take that material, and turn it into sort of the beautiful polished uh, bag that you end up with? I'm curious to know. <laughs> um, the first step is R and D and testing, and mm-hmm. that's another thing that ties in slow fashion. And you mentioned it earlier, Laura, in terms of durability, and that's a big one. Um, and what I've seen is that uh, price point ironically doesn't necessarily tie into durability what i'm trying to say is that even higher price goods i think from designer brands don't necessarily last that long and sometimes less expensive goods last much longer i guess it really depends on the mandate that the bre- the company the brand has in terms of longevity for the product and also how much testing goes into what they're putting out there because we're working with innovative materials that are pretty new on the marketplace i have no choice we we really have to test the crap out of them to make sure that they're gonna stand uh the test of time and especially if 
you know, our whole thing that we're putting out there is that we, we guarantee the outerwear for five years, the bags for two years, even the knits are guaranteed. Um, yeah. And beyond the guarantee, we also have a program called Last Beyond You, that when customers are done with the items, they can return it back for a 25% credit. We refurbish them and get them out to um, an organization here in Montreal that supports uh, homeless youth, like kids living on the streets in Montreal. Um, so the, the idea is whether we're supporting them or another organization is that items should never end up in a landfill. Like there, there has to be a plan that even if the consumer is tired of the item for whatever reason that they, they will have a second life. But in terms of, sorry, I kind of digressed in terms of the. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's really interesting. Actually, I, I love that you bring up that very last point, which is, you know, the company taking responsibility for the life cycle of the product, right? That's kind of what I got from you at the end. And I think um, for so long, com- uh, you know, companies and corporations have relied on the consumer to be the one at the end of the day who, you know, throws it into the landfill or does who knows what with it. They really kind of wash their hands of the product once it's purchased. But I really like that you and your team are thinking about the full life cycle of this product and and providing avenues for it to be used and not necessarily going right into a landfill. I think that's that's so interesting and, and great. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's um yeah, and we are seeing more and more companies and brands going to that direction where whether they're even on their own website selling their own goods that have been used, slightly used. Yes, like Patagonia. Yeah. Very interesting. I think that's an incredible initiative. I mean, it's um, they always come up with like innovative directions. So that's uh, it's no surprise there. But um, in terms of, um, yeah, sorry, getting back to the, the process. Uh, it, it, you know, it's funny because I often think we work backwards probably for most fashion brands where they come up with designs, ideas, collections for the upcoming seasons. And we kind of look at what's available out there in terms of innovative materials, scrap materials, materials that are plant-based, durable, long-lasting, made out of, you know, ocean waste or fishnets and kind of work around that. Now that we have these materials, okay, what can we do? I mean, we have an idea of design direction. We're, we're all nerds when it comes to yeah. <laughs> design. And um, I, think, I think it's not just because of slow fashion, but generally speaking, our team is more into low-key, minimalist, really focusing on you know, the, the details. Like, let's take a traditional backpack and how can we – so seat belts on this and use like yeah, really interesting zippers with big teeth and <laughs> um, still make it very utilitarian and then mm-hmm. work with linings that are also either made from, you know, again, there were limited, like we, we use a lining that's made out of recycled water bottles, which I'm hoping that one day that can also be a material that already exists out there. That, and that, that's a point that I wanted to bring up before. One of the challenges um, when you're using landfill materials is scalability. So yep. you almost have to have a balance. And I, I'm actually very thankful that we're working and living in a time when there is that push towards making fabrics out of landfill materials, whether it's Econil, um or the Reprieve 
Some of them are more into recycling. Others are really into regenerating waste, which is the direction that we want to keep focusing on. Um, but that is, that is pretty neat that at least, you know, whether it's a lining or even now zippers, like YKK came out with a zipper that has recycled uh, webbing for the teeth, which is pretty cool. So That is cool. Yeah, again, it's not necessarily made from, you know, trash sitting in a landfill, but it is... I think a step in the right direction, especially for an organization as, or a company as large as YKK. Um, but yeah, we focus on designs that are more minimalist um, in terms of pure fashion items that whether you're wearing it today or in two years, five years, 10 years, it'll still feel relevant. And then we really focus on the detailing, the way that um, the, the shape of the product the way it kind of falls, if it's a jacket, like uh, just making sure that when it's on, it has a very interesting look, streamlined, minimalist, somewhat tapered, not overly. Um, we tend to work with big zippers, like we like using hardware that kind of stands out. Some of the hardware we actually make in Montreal, we get it laser cut from aluminum that comes from Quebec. Um, again, even the zippers that we're using where we insisted that we use the zippers that are made by YKK here in North America. So it's this constant push to just get everything sourced as local as possible and then build designs around that whole thinking process that, like I said, are timeless, minimalist, um, but with a real focus on detail. Um, yeah. That's, that's amazing. And I, Another point that I, I want to point out is, you know, I, I mentioned durability. We've talked about that. Um, another facet of making sure that your fashion is a little bit less fast is a classic design, right? So maybe choosing to not go with the most trendy piece out there and thinking a little bit about whether or not something's going to last um, in terms of style, right? In addition to durability. Um, so we're, we're almost, um, you know, as we think about kind of wrapping up the episode, one thing that we love to talk with all of our guests about on Good Together is really how they like to incorporate eco-friendly living and sustainability in their everyday lives. So I wonder if you have any favorite tips or products that you'd like to share with our community. People, this is like one of the favorite questions that we, we ask our, our guests. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a specific product or anything. It could just be, you know, maybe some kind of trick you do every day. Like, I mean, reusable coffee mug. Lots of people do that. But, you know, it's always fun to ask. That's interesting. I mean, try to consume in a way that the amount of, I guess, non-consumed stuff going out of where we live is really, really minimized. <laughs> yes. Um, and that goes for everything, whether it's the way we eat or cycling as much as possible to wherever we can. We're based in Montreal, so we're, you know, I can still see snow on the ground. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's not always an option, but I think it's just really living and thinking in a way that minimizes, I know it sounds really cliche, but just minimizing the impact we have on the environment around us every day. And I guess from a consumption point of view, it's really purchasing things 
when we really need them and buying the ones that are going to last a really long time that you could actually pass on to your kids. Um, that to me is kind of a true test. I mean, if you can purchase something and know that this thing is going to be out there for generations. And I, I think that's the way things were done back in the day, whenever that day was. Certainly, yeah. Not so much now. We don't really think of consumption in those regards. And I guess being a parent myself and um, just trying to instill those same values in the generations that are around us to um, to just have that mindset. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. uh, I can't really (laughs) name any brands or products in particular, but I I think it's... Oh, that's fine. I love it. I love this mindset uh, that you have every day. And I'm sure you have all sorts of really interesting ways that you reuse things um, around the house, right? Like just the fact that you were able to, you know, think about seatbelts going into handbags uh, gives me an indication that you're probably pretty good uh with that kind of stuff around the house too (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing when you start looking around you um seeing all the stuff that's been sitting around for years that can be reused especially organic materials like one of the things i did when i left matt and i was i did my carpentry course and don't ask me why it was just a dream that i have for many many years (laughs) i love it (laughs) and just looking at different wood items like seeing how they could be transformed into something else has been uh I think it's, yeah, just really, it's a mindset, um, you know, whether it's friends that haven't bought items in X number of years and have found a way to reinvent their wardrobe. Um, sometimes it's through a very simple detail, again, like being in the details, whether it's that or, you know, reinventing your own furniture or just on a larger scale, looking at what comes into your home and what actually goes out every week, every month. Um, yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I I love that. And I think just having this general thought process about waste, about realizing that 99% of us can't be zero waste, but realizing that, you know, the amount of waste that we generate can be reduced. And we can also be creative about how we, you know, reuse things around the house versus throwing them into the recycling bin and wish cycling. Uh, we actually just did a really interesting a podcast interview with some um, women who founded a recycling uh, program in their city, and they had so many different insights about you know what actually gets recycled and what what doesn't. So, highly recommend checking that one out. But in terms of this conversation, I've had such a, a, a great time chatting with you, Ender. Um, we would love to have our audience go check out your brand at 457 Anew. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful, I had a, a, a nice browse before our conversation and was really drawn to a few pieces there. And just, uh, you know, the story behind them, right? Like being able to wear one and say, hey, this was made of cactus leaves, right? And having that conversation with friends and family is going to be fascinating. But thank you so much for taking the time today, Ender. And uh, we just uh, really appreciated having you here. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me on and everything that you guys do. It's, um, it's great.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.